The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Westway. Good morning, body of Christ. It is so good to see you all here this morning. It's a beautiful morning outside when I rolled in this morning. I said to Shane, can we keep this temperature right here all day? <laughs> We're in summer, and summer brings heat with it, and those of us that don't care for the heat as much have to get used to it all over again. Um, but that brings to mind something that I want to visit with you about before we get started in the message this morning. In our valley, we are very dependent upon irrigation. And if you've been watching the news, you have seen that the Gehring, um Fort, Fort Laramie um, irrigation district is in trouble right now because of a, of a breakdown in the um, diversion dam that brings the water to that area. That covers over 100,000 acres of crops in this valley. That has ramifications not just for the farmers who have worked so hard to plant the seed and cultivate it and fertilize it and, and get it ready to grow but it has ramifications in our community and in our state and even into our country and into the world in some ways. And many of these farmers are out there not knowing what they're going to do. And the people that make the decisions on how to fix that are doing the best they can, but it's not a quick fix because it's a big project. And so I would like to take just a couple minutes this morning to pray for those, those people. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we bow before you now because we know that you are our creator. We know that you know each of us by name. You know each of us by what's in our hearts. Father, you know the things that we're going through in our life, and you know what's coming up, and we don't understand how that works, but you do. And you provide us with what we need. You help us walk through the tough times. And there are many hardworking farmers in our community who are very concerned about their future. Some of them have borrowed money to be able to provide the seed and the equipment and the fuel to raise the crops. And if they don't get their harvest, they might not be able to pay the bills that they owe and they may lose their farms. I pray for those people. Father, I pray for those who are in the position to make decisions on how to fix the break. I pray for wisdom and strength and courage to do what is right. More than that, Father, I pray for our community, that they would band together. That these farmers and these ranchers and 
this community would understand that you are in control of all things. And that it's in times like this when we're reminded that we can't do it all. In fact, we do very little. And the strength comes from you. The ability comes from you. The resources come from you. And so, Father, I pray for rain. (laughs) I pray for enough rain to get them through. And I pray that they would recognize that it's you that provided. And that this community would recognize that it's you that provides. And that this state would recognize that it's you that provides. And that this nation would recognize that it's you that it provides. Father, as we get into your word this morning, it's, it, it kind of ties into that, Father. We need you. This community needs you. Our world needs you. So be with us as we study your word together this morning. Help us to listen. Help us to gain wisdom in our lives personally. Help us to recognize the areas that we need to let go and let you do what you need to do in our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What a blessing it is to be able to be before you once again today. And what a blessing it is to see so many of you that I don't know. (laughs) There are a lot of faces out there that I don't recognize, and that's awesome. Part of that's because I hang out with the kids upstairs so much and I haven't been down here. Part of it's because you're new, and we're so glad you're here with us. Some of you may be traveling. I want to say welcome and safe travels. Some of you I see that I haven't seen for a long time. It's good to see Marshall and Cindy with us today. (laughs) If you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be going back to that section of Scripture again today. And if you have any questions about today's message you can send a text message to this number, 307-316-2023. And we will discuss, or somebody will discuss those questions this Tuesday at 11.15 or thereabouts. And um, we love getting those questions. This week I'll be at camp, so I won't be a part of that discussion. But... um, Somebody will be doing that around that time, and so if you have questions, don't hold them to yourself. Share them with the rest of us so that those that also had the same question can get answers to their questions. Um, Last week, we started a new series called The Law in Action, and John shared a little bit of history with us concerning the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws that followed them in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. He shared about how the children of Israel had just come out of 400 years of captivity and how that the Ten Commandments told them about God's heart and were a description of what God expected from His people. They were an invitation into a new life marked by how the people were to interact with God 
seen first in the focus on the tabernacle or the temple worship and its focus on ceremony, and secondly, in the way the people were to interact with one another through the moral and ethical observances of each other. As you read or as you read through the Old Testament books, you see the children of Israel either following God and seeking Him for His leadership and counsel or believing in a God, religiously keeping the laws and commands, but selfishly refusing to allow their lives to be changed from the inside out. John mentioned how Over hundreds of years, the children of Israel went through another period of captivity, and the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, only to be rebuilt many years later under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. He shared how the emphasis shifted from the focus on the temple to a focus on the moral and ethical observances of the people. This resulted in local synagogues with a teacher or rabbi leading the people with different forms of interpretations and traditions. These traditions were often taught as being divine in origin, equal to the laws written in the scriptures themselves. It's interesting, there were thousands of those laws that they made up. And there's record of many of them. It was into this environment that Jesus came, teaching God's Word, healing the sick, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. In the first part of Matthew 5, we find Jesus on the side of a mountain, explaining to His disciples that the condition of our inner being is more important than the keeping of a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, it's from the condition of our inner being that the ability to accomplish the do's and don'ts comes from. Last week, John summed it up this way. I love the way he said it. Kingdom righteousness works from the inside out. It is initiated by God the Father through the work of Jesus on the cross and empowered by the Holy Spirit dwelling in in the hearts of believers, producing changed hearts and new motivations, which leads to the law in action. It's a great way to put it. Initiated by God, carried out by Jesus on the cross, and empowered by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. It's what we need. It's what we need to remember as we read some of these next verses in chapter 5 in Matthew. In verse 17, Jesus talked about being salt and light. And then, excuse me, before verse 17, He talked about that. And John talked about that last week. And then in Matthew 5, 17, He says this. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I love the way that says it in the NLT. You see, all of those laws that were given are kind of tough to live out. 
Some of them harder than others. We need Jesus to do that. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus pretty much says it this way. If you want to know what the law was really about, watch me. If you really want to know what the law was about, watch Jesus. Then he begins to give some examples. We're going to begin reading this afternoon or this morning in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. If you would follow along with me. This is in the YouVersion app, if you have that on your phones or your iPads. Um, you can follow along there. Um, there are some Bibles around you also. Um, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Some translations say in that spot for sacrifice, gifts. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accusers may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, some translations say your right eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by earth, because the earth is His footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great King. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white 
or black. Some of us think we can turn them white pretty fast. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunshine to both the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. <laughs> That's tough. There's a lot of tough stuff in that passage. You see, in this section of Jesus' message on the side of the mountain that day, He talked about six issues in this portion that we just read that the people of the day were struggling with. There are issues that we struggle with today in our society. And there are issues that we struggle with in the church. There's not enough time today to go into detail about all of these teachings, but I know that many of you or possibly most of you and maybe even all of you are or have struggled with or at least have been affected by each of these issues. At the very least, you know someone who has or is struggling with these issues now. So what is Jesus saying? What can we learn from Jesus this morning to help us with this? I think it's important to remember that just before Jesus began talking about these issues, He laid a foundation for His message by telling them what conditions in our life God is looking for so that He can bless us. We're going to back up to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 3 through 12 and we're going to read that again. John read it last week. We're going to read it again because it's important and as, in, as important as the Ten Commandments were in telling them about the heart of God and what He expected from His people, there was still something missing. The purpose of the law still needed to be fulfilled. The list of attitudes Jesus spoke about was a picture, if you will, of the condition of Jesus' heart. Let's go back to these verses and reread them so they're fresh on our minds as we look at the other passage that we just read. Beginning with verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Some translations say their righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Wow. You know those other passages that begin in verse 21, those six issues that we deal with all the time. Our culture doesn't worry about them. In fact, our culture encourages them. And when we do something in our life to make the changes that Jesus says we need to make in order to be His followers, we're going to face persecution. John said last week, it's a promise. Because we're going to be different than they are and what the way we live our lives is going to make their lives look different also. Let's look a little bit closer, just a little bit closer at those things this morning. Jesus said, you know you shouldn't murder, for where does the desire, but where does the desire for murder come from? I talked about this a few weeks ago. Would you have that desire to murder if you were a little more humble? Would this be a good time to show a little more mercy? Is your heart pure and are you working for peace in the situation? When those things are absent, it's easy to become angry. Anger can lead to all kinds of bad things, including murder. Jesus said that when we find ourselves at odds with someone, even before we come and give our gift at church, we should go and reconcile with the individual. Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. Do you see where Jesus is saying that change needs to take place first? And then he said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. He says, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery for her in his heart. And then he goes on to talk about plucking eyes out and cutting hands off because they have led us to sin and caused us to be in danger of being thrown into hell. I don't know if Jesus is literally saying you need to pluck your eye out when you have those thoughts or you need to cut your hand off if it gets you in trouble. But what he is saying is, what's causing you? 
to have those thoughts. And if those thoughts are leading you to do things that are bad, that are lustful, then maybe you need to stop yourself somehow and reconsider where those things are coming from. I don't know about you, but I'd rather hunger and thirst after righteousness and a pure heart, even if it means I might go through a little persecution for doing what is right. Jesus talked about the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. And then he says, when you do that, you cause her and anyone who marries her to commit adultery. Do you suppose that it would be better if we realize our need for Him in our marriages? Maybe we need to allow Him to show us what true humility is about. And ask Him for the strength to show mercy when it's needed. And the wisdom to work for peace in our relationships. Do you see what I'm doing here? I've gone back to those attitudes. We call them the Beatitudes. And when we apply those attitudes to our lives, the things that we go through that we struggle with in life can be handled by His power, by His Holy Spirit. Let's continue to do this a little bit. Right after he talks about divorce, it's interesting to me that he follows the teaching about divorce with the teaching about vows. He says, you've heard that, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. Why is that interesting that he follows up marriage with that? Well, I've been to two weddings in two weeks. And at both weddings, they made vows to each other and to the Lord. And it's interesting that at both weddings, the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 was read. And in that passage, it talks about love. And I didn't have this in my notes to begin with, but yesterday as I was thinking about the message and listening to the other message that was going on at the wedding... It made me think that this list goes so well with the list of attitudes. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Isn't that where those attitudes come from? The love of Jesus? That kind of love? That kind of love that causes us to be patient in our marriages. That kind of love that causes us to be long-suffering. When we make a vow, we're saying to God, I promise that I'm going to do it. 
But the thing is, when we make a vow, we don't know all of the circumstances that surround the situation. He says, it's better if you just don't swear by anything. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Who sees all things? Who hears all things? Who knows all things and understands all things? Do you? Shake your head no. (laughs) You don't. I know that I'm not in any position to guarantee that anything will happen. That's God's job. I recognize my need for Him. I hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness, as some translations say, but I recognize that only He knows enough about all the circumstances around any situation to be able to make guarantees. An example of someone who made the mistake of making a vow to the Lord is found in Judges chapter 11, verses 29 through 39. And every time I read this passage where Jesus is talking about this, I think about this story. There's this guy named Jephthah. And he was the commander of the Israel army at the time. The story of how he was put in the position to be the commander is interesting also because some of his family didn't even want him there. They ran him away. But still, God got him into position. So you have to go back and read that part um, on your own. I want us to begin, if you will, in Judges chapter 11 and verse 29. It says this. And listen to this story. It's powerful, but cutting. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpahs and Gilead. And from there, he led an army all against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me the victory over the Ammonites... I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from uh, Aurora to an area near Mineth and as far away as abel Karamim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, this little lady knew what she needed to say. She said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do it. And you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die 
a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Wow. Jephthah thought he was making a good vow. He was headed into battle. He recognized that he needed God's help. He didn't know the situation. It's hard for me to read that because <laughs> I've got three daughters and I can't imagine losing any of them that way. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't make a vow that you don't know the circumstances around. In the teaching about the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Jesus clearly tells us to do something that isn't in our nature, to turn the other cheek, to give them your coat too, to go the extra mile, to give freely. And then he continues to say, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This isn't something that comes naturally. We need to admit that we need God, especially in moments like this. And at the same time, we need to humble ourselves before Him and think of others first, no matter who they are. And as for loving my enemies, well, sometimes that just seems to be going too far. I don't like my enemies. That's why I call them my enemies. And loving them... That means I have to get to know them. And that means I have to spend time with them. And if I spend time with them, I might just find out that they really aren't my enemy. And that's going too far. Isn't that the way we think? I wonder how many of us hearing this today are thinking, well, you just don't know how, uh, all about my situation. You don't know how hard it is to live with that person. Or you don't know how to work next to them, or they deserve what I'm going to give them. God does know what you're going through. Jesus does know what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it is like to be lied to. He knows what it's like to be beat up till he's almost dead. He knows what it's like to be made fun of, yet as he hung on the cross, he said, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Maybe you're out there thinking, I just can't do it. You're right. You can't do these things on your own. You need to recognize your poor condition, and you need for Jesus. You, we, should mourn about the condition we are in and humble ourselves with Him. I pray that you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness that is so great that your desire to be right or even get even will be forgotten because you've learned to be merciful in your heart and your heart is pure and now your desire is to be at peace with those around you. Even when those around you tell, tell you that you deserve better and call you stupid or crazy for letting them get away with what they've done, you need to let go and let God 
take care of your situation. It's not easy. It's very uncomfortable. I heard a wise man pray this week to God saying, you're more concerned, God, you're more concerned with my character than my comfort. The Beatitudes are an awesome indication of what God wants our character to be. Kingdom righteousness works from the inside out. It is initiated by God the Father through the work of Jesus on the cross and empowered by the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of believers, producing changed hearts and new motivations, which leads to law and action. Maybe you're out there and you aren't a Christian. Maybe you're seeking a life that is blessed with the assurance that God is walking with you through the good and the bad. If you're out there today wondering what the next step is for you to draw closer to God, to build a relationship with Him and understand the blessings that can be yours by becoming part of His family, then I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to come and talk to me or one of the other pastors, one of the elders here at Westway, or find a friend that comes to Westway and they'll help you get connected with Christ and His body here. You can't do it alone. As much as our culture tells us that. Let's pray. Father, sometimes as we live our lives here on this earth, we're encouraged to do things that go against what you teach us in your word. And sometimes that encouragement is done so often and so well that it seems as though it's okay. Much like the people of the day when Jesus came to this earth had heard from their leaders, these are the things you need to do. Father, oftentimes our selfishness gets in the way of what you want to do in and through us. Sometimes we're so selfish with what we want and what we feel we need that we can't be light to our workplaces. We can't be salt in our homes. Help us to recognize our need for you. Help us to love you so much that we'll give up all that we are doing and allow you to take control of it. Father, you've promised us if we seek you, we will find you. Thank you for that promise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.